If you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and as you're turning there, this is a study that we're doing in our student ministry right now. And uh, a look into God's heart, a study of Psalm 119. And what we're finding is um, God says in the Bible, it says in His Word, that David was a man after God's own heart. And if we could take uh, and do a, a spiritual open heart surgery on David and see what was going on in his heart and in his mind, uh, you find it here in Psalm 119. God does that for us. And what's, uh, what's so incredible is so much of the heart that, that we see displayed for God's Word, the passion for God's Word in Psalm 119, is the passion in the heart that God has for His own Word. He says that he's exalted his word above his name. And when you look in the Old Testament about how much God cared about his name, over and over again, God would uh, do things for believers to glorify his own name, to bring, to bring honor and glory to his name. And we don't want to reproach the name. We don't want to bring reproach on the name of Christ. But God says that he's exalted his word above his name. And we see so much in here about God's passion and heart that he has for his word. So, what we're going to look at this morning, if we, you would look with me, it's, uh, we'll start in verse 49. The scripture here says, Remember the word unto thy servant, upon which thou hast caused me to hope. This is my comfort and my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. The proud have had me greatly in derision, yet have I not declined from thy law. I remembered thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. Thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I have remembered thy, thy name, O Lord, in the night, and have kept thy law. This I had because I kept thy precepts. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you again for the opportunity to uh, be able to come before you, to be in the midst of other believers, but to most importantly be able to hear your word this morning. I pray, God, that as we open it, that uh, you would speak to our hearts, help us to see the truth. Uh, that is here, and I pray, God, that you'd help us to apply it to our lives. Lord, I ask for your help as I, as I teach and preach through this. Pray for help to communicate it clearly. And Lord, I ask for our pastor that you continue to strengthen him, uh, give him uh, just a clarity of mind, and, and help him to know what you'd have him to preach for the services there in Everett. And I just pray that you'd accomplish great things here and there today. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen. In our text this morning, we see that David has something that you and I are going to desperately need. Because like him, we're going to go through affliction and trial. And we see here that he's got some things that will, will help him face that affliction and uncertainty. And you and I are going to need these same things. So uh, if you look at verse 56, he says, he, he sums up this stanza by saying, This I had because I kept thy precepts. So what we're going to do this morning is, we're going to understand that if we will keep God's word, we will have some of the same things that he had in this stanza. So let's go back at verse 49 and start there and look and see what did David have that helped him in uncertain times and help him through affliction. Well, verse 49, he says, Remember the word unto thy servant, upon which thou hast caused me to hope. Because David kept God's word, he had a source of hope. He had a source of hope. When you see here, he actually asks God to remember his own word. Uh, now, I love this. The psalmist does not fear a failure in the Lord's memory, but he makes use of the promise as a plea. You know, David was not saying this because he was afraid that God was going to forget his word. 
He was using it as a prayer and as a plea to God saying, God, you have said these things. God, you've made this promise. God, don't forget your word. And so we see here a, a desire in, uh, for him to uh, see God remember his word and, and come through on the promise that, that he made. Now, when you see this hope, David had a source of hope. In our day, this word has become so diluted. Hope is like an anemic thing. Um, uh, biblical hope is not anemic. Uh, I love this. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said, We tend to look at hope as rather um, an anemic qu- quality. It's like this. We'll ask each other, or you'll ask somebody on the street, Are you going to go to heaven when you die? And the response a lot of times is, I hope so. Like there's a, so you're saying there's a chance, you know, it's just, well, I I hope, but there's not really any substance or strength to that statement. Biblical hope is completely different. That word has changed over the years in the way that God uses the word hope. It's a very sure thing. Um, Let's look at a couple of things here. Biblical hope. Look with me, if you would, um, at Romans chapter eight, and you might want to put a ribbon or a Something, a terror map out of your Bible. Put it there in Psalm. We will be back there. Psalm 119. I just just heard something rip out of a teenager's Bible. Oh, it was Denver. Okay, it was one of our deacons. Man. Andrea, you can't take that guy anywhere, can you? Romans chapter 8. Here, I'm thinking it's a teenager being a smart aleck. It's... Denver tearing something out of his Bible. All right, Romans chapter 8. Biblical hope. Biblical hope. Romans chapter 8, verse 24. The scripture here says, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Do you see the surety there with biblical hope? Biblical hope is simply, I know this is going to happen based upon the promise that God has made in His Word. It just hasn't happened yet. That's a lot different than the way we use, oh, I hope I win the lottery. You know, um, Man, I hope I win, and it's a bummer because I never play, but it'd be awesome to win even if you don't play. Um, or it'd be really cool to win if you never play. I think that's what I meant to say. But we see biblical hope here. Look also at Hebrews chapter 11. Go a couple books back past Romans, Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll see biblical hope as a sure thing. Hebrews 11, 1, this uh, chapter here before the hall of faith, as we like to call it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is simply the substance of hope. This hope is a knowledge that something that God has said is going to come to pass, it hasn't happened yet, but faith is that substance of things hoped for. Let's see an example of this. Uh, look at, at Paul, look at Acts chapter 24, and look at the way Paul uses this word, this phrase that uh, of his hope. Acts chapter 24. If you remember here, Paul is before Felix, one of these governors, and he has Paul has had accusers falsely accuse him of, of stirring up the Jews and, and and they just lied about him. And so Paul here in verse 10 begins to give his own defense here before this, this ruler, before this governor. And Paul says in verse 10, Then Paul, after the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, For as much as I know that thou hast been a, a, of many years a judge unto this nation, 
I do the more cheerfully answer for myself, because that thou mayest understand that there are yet but twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship. So Paul here, he begins to lay out the defense and, and shows by fact that what these guys are saying about him is not true. But look down at verse 13. Neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. So you see how Paul uses the word hope? He goes, I have hope toward God that there shall be a resurrection both of the just and the unjust. You see how sure that is. So biblical hope, it's, it's not an unfounded thing. It's very sure based upon the promise that God has made in His Word. So um, Titus 2.13, you don't have to turn there, I'll just give it to you. The Scripture says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our hope that Christ is going to come back and we just with patience wait for it. So biblical hope is, uh, is what the psalmist had here. So if you would go back with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 in verse 49, we said, the scripture here says, Remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. David had a source of hope. And notice he says, God, remember your word that you've caused me to have hope upon. Let me ask you, what promises in God's word have you already found to be faithful? Have you already found to be true? We're looking for Christ to come back. But you know, something that God has caused me to hope upon is that I know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. Because he has said that if I will confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that God's raised him from the dead... I shall be saved. So God has caused me to hope uh, for my salvation. And again, not our worldly hope. I know this will come to pass because of what God has said. So has God caused you to hope upon his word? What promises lately has God said, hey, you remember I said this in my word? Or you're reading through and and you're reminded again of God's promise. Has God given you cause to hope in his word? If you're saved, you know He has. And not only has God saved me, but through all of my sinfulness, God has kept me saved. Paul says, I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. Jesus said, I know my sheep, they hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. I know that if I perish, then Jesus Christ is a liar. But I'm not going to perish. Jesus Christ is faithful and the words that he has said will come to pass. So we have a source of hope. But not only do we have a source of hope, if you look in verse 50, we see David here, he has a source of comfort. He says, this is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. Verse 50, this is my comfort. Let me ask you, what do people look to to comfort them? You think about people that their lives are just wrecked. You know, the drunkard that looks to that bottle of alcohol or wine or whatever it is and says, this is my comfort. They try to find comfort in that. Or, or they try to find comfort. People try to find comfort in, in relationships or, or their job or so many things. David says, you lay that all aside. This 
is my comfort in my affliction. He says, for thy word hath quickened me. Now quickly, this word quicken, uh, we looked at biblical hope. What's a biblical quickening? Biblical quickening. Um, A couple of things in Ephesians. uh, Let me give this to you um, before I go there. With affliction, affliction is simply pain, distress, or grief. And I will ask you to raise your hands. Don't raise your hand on this. But recently, how many of you right now, you have just gone through or you're in affliction? Well, if you're not or you haven't, it's coming. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. It's going to happen. Spurgeon said this, Some people have comfort and no affliction. Others have affliction and no comfort. The saints have comfort in their affliction. And that's what we find in this verse. Uh, Notice with me quickly the the example of the Macedonian believers. Look at 2 Corinthians. Let's see some believers that went through affliction here in the early church. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you would turn there. God does not promise the believer that we will not have trouble, that we will not have affliction. But God does promise that we'll have comfort in that affliction. And the Macedonians found that here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The scripture says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit or to know of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction... The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. So these churches had great, the Bible says deep poverty. And this is biblical times. You know, he's not talking about churches in the United States of America. You know, this was a church there. These churches in Macedonia experienced deep poverty and great affliction. But in that, they had joy. And, and the affliction did not keep them from being liberal in their giving and liberal in their service to the Lord. You know, how many times is it very easy when we get an affliction to stop serving God? It's like that's the first thing that's, te- that's temptation to go is, our, is our, us reading the Word of God or, or meeting you know, for discipleship, those kinds of things. Affliction, it, it, it gives us cause sometimes to, uh, or it gives us great temptation to stop ministry for the Lord. And the Macedonian churches didn't let that that affliction do that in their lives. Um, uh, If you would look back with me at Psalm 119, he says, verse 50, this is my comfort in my affliction. We saw the Macedonians, they didn't let that affliction stop their service for the Lord. He says here in in the Psalm, for thy word hath quickened me. That word quickened, it just simply means to make alive, to make alive. The Bible says this about about God's word. In Hebrews 4.12, it says, for the word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword. So I can know this morning that as we read these scriptures, this book is alive. This is a li- the living word. And we see here these scriptures, I know, will produce an effect in your heart as you hear them. So the word of God is quick. It's alive. And then it's powerful. But also in Ephesians chapter 2, we understand this word quick um, because God uh, says that, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. The Bible says this about us. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So we're sinners this morning. And the Bible says that because of our sin, we are spiritually dead. 
But in Ephesians, Paul is telling them, there are some of you that, that believe the word of God. You've trusted in Christ as your savior. And now you're quickened. You were dead spiritually in trespasses and sins. But now you're quickened, you're made alive, and you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. You've been born again. So here in our psalm, he says, For thy word hath quickened me. If you're a believer in here this morning, there has been a time, there has been a moment in your life when you realized you were a sinner, you were on your way to hell, but Jesus Christ paid that penalty on the cross when he died. He was buried and rose again three days later, and you've asked Christ to save you. You've come to that place in your life, and the word of God has quickened you. But you know what? The Word of God isn't done in your life. If you would, in, the, in our same psalm, look back at verse 25. In our same psalm, verse 25, you see here he says, My soul cleaveth unto the dust. You ever been there in your life? Where your soul is just like somebody just kicked your teeth out spiritually. You're laying, you are down for the count. You want to get up, but you're not moving. The psalmist says, I've been that place. My soul cleaveth to the dust. But what's the answer? Quicken thou me according to thy word. You know what will revive your spirituality, your Christianity faster than anything in this world? This book. Amen. And believing the promises of God. Man, if you're, if you're like, you know, I know I'm saved, but man, my life right now is just it's a spiritual waste. It just feels that way. And if, I, if it wasn't for the grace of God, man, I just know I wouldn't even be saved. You know what the answer is this morning? To believe the promises and read them and allow God to quicken you, to revive your life, to revive your heart. And, and as you go through this, if we were to look at it and you see the verse where God says, David was a man after my own heart. I don't know about you, but being saved, in my heart, I can't think of anything else but to say, I wish I was like that. I, you know why I feel that way? Because I'm saved. You know how you, why you feel that way? Because the Holy Spirit of God is in you. And when you see that, God's going, I can do that in your life. You know, every one of you in here that knows Christ as their Savior, you can be a man after God's own heart. You can be a woman after God's own heart. It doesn't matter what your faith has been like in the past. It doesn't matter what, what things you've done in your past. You, you teenagers, you guys can be David. You can be a man after God's own heart. You can be there, but sometimes we look at David and you go, oh, I'll never be like that. What did David have that you don't? You have the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. God can do that in your life. And so we see here that he has comfort in his affliction. Um, and God, he, he, he's looking to the Word to quicken him. Um, God's Word, it can revive the heart of a believer in affliction. But not only does he have comfort in affliction, look at verse 51. We're going to see here, he has comfort in derision. Verse 51, the proud have had me greatly in derision, yet have I not declined from thy law. The proud have had me greatly in derision. To deride means to laugh at in contempt. Isn't that such a great definition? To laugh at in contempt. How many of you, you've ever, you've been somebody vocally laughed out loud at you taking a stand for the Lord or your Christianity. You've been laughed at before. Um, I'll never forget, there was a guy, uh, I was uh, in the drum line at uh, Sydney High School, and, and, um, and there was a guy that was a couple years older than me, and I remember he had written some uh, lyrics to a Nine Inch Nails song inside of our band cabinet, so if it's still there, Anthony, I know who did that. Um, 
but it's probably got painted over since then. But I remember this guy, he uh, was one of these guys that was in the nine inch nails and all that kind of crowd and stuff. And um, I remember one day after band, he just kept pushing at me. And it got to the point where he was saying things about Jesus Christ in front of me just to see how I would react. And, you know, there are going to be times like that when somebody, they specifically are going to push you just to see what you're going to do. Because you say that you're a Christian and you're all supposed to be nice. You know, sometimes we have a hard time being nice when we're not being pushed, you know. But I remember he, he, just, he just wanted to laugh and mock and make fun of the name of Jesus Christ. Well, a couple of things about the proud. A couple of things about the proud. The proud are the ones that are doing the deriding. Proud people are the ones that are making, they're laughing and mocking. So what does God say about the proud in His Word? I'll give you a couple things. Job 26, 12 says, God smites through the proud. Psalm 31, 23 said, God plentifully rewards the proud doer. And that's not in a good way. Psalm 40, verse 4 says, God doesn't respect the proud. Psalm 119, verse 21 says, God has rebuked the proud that are cursed. Psalm 119.78 says, Let the proud be ashamed. Psalm 138 says, God knows the proud afar off. Proverbs 15 says, God will destroy the house of the proud. Isaiah 13.11 says, God will cause the arrogance of the proud to cease. God will take care of the proud. Malachi 4.1 says, For behold, the day cometh that the shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Luke one fifty one says, God scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. James 4.6 and 1 Peter 5.5 5 says that God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Spurgeon said this, The grinning of the proud will not trouble us when we remember how the Lord dealt with their predecessors in gone-by periods. He destroyed them at the deluge. He confounded them at Babel. He drowned them at the Red Sea. He drove them out at Canaan. He has in all ages bared His arm against the haughty and broken them as potter's vessels. While in our own hearts we humbly drink of the mercy of God in quietude, we are not without comfort in seasons of turmoil and derision. For then we resort to God's justice and remember how He scoffs at the scoffers. And the Scripture says, He that sitteth in the heavens doth laugh, and the Lord shall have them in derision. God will take care of the proud. The psalmist here, he says, God, the, the proud have had me greatly in derision. And I know many of you, you've been there. But notice what he says. Yet have I not declined from thy law. Don't deviate from the promises of God because of somebody that's proud. I love it. Uh, you know, we listen to do the Financial Peace University here with Dave Ramsey. And I listen to him on the radio often. And he always says, don't take it financial advice from broke people. How many times have you gotten financial advice from somebody that is broke? I'm not going to take advice on my life from somebody that's proud. Let's not deviate from God's word. And you say, well, man, it sounds kind of like, you know, the proud are going to get theirs. And you're kind of excited about that. I couldn't. That's not further from the truth. Actually, let's see who took derision for the proud and who took derision for you and I. Our Lord experienced this. If you would look at Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. We see here the example of our Lord. Some of you are wishing you had not taken financial advice from somebody that was broke. 
Because you ended up like them, all right? Mark chapter 5 and verse 45. Um, let's, yeah, we'll start here. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. So this leader of the synagogue, his daughter is dead. Verse 39, And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make, why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha Kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for he, she was of 12 years of age. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. You know, our Lord has been there. This is the creator of the universe that with his mouth spoke everything into existence. And they're weeping and wailing and she's dead. And Jesus walks up and says, listen, don't worry. Don't be afraid. She's just sleeping. And what was their response? They laughed at him. They laughed him to scorn. You see that? Well, that's a stupid thing to say. And Jesus says, put them all out. Because the creator of the ends of the universe is about to do something that no man can do. And Jesus says, I have power to give life, and I have power to take life. No man taketh my life from me. I lay it down to myself. It's amazing, the Savior that we have. But he's been through that. He's been through that ridicule. But also, not only here, but notice with me when he's on the cross, Matthew 27. If you would look at Matthew chapter 27. If, and if you would, get Matthew 27 and then get um, Psalm 22. Psalm 22. I want you to have them both. We're going to look at them back to back. So Denver, if you need to rip more pages out of your Bible, just have Psalm 22 and Matthew 27. We can look at them here. All right, Matthew 27, verse 35. The scripture here says of our Lord, And they crucified him. And parted his garments, casting lots, that I might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were two thieves, then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads. And saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. I wonder if there was someone in that crowd that heard or saw that he had uh, given that damsel life and, and brought her back and said, Well, he can do that. Why can't he save himself off the Why can't he just come down off the cross? Verse 43, He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
If you would, flip over to Psalm 22 and we're going to pick it up right there. You see how amazing it is, the Psalms and how prophetic they are of Jesus Christ. Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O Lord, and inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. You know, for these proud people that God will, if they don't repent and turn to Him, He will destroy. He took that derision. He took the laughing. He took the scorn for them. And you know who else He did that for? For you and me. Jesus took the laughing and the mockery and the insults and the poking and the prodding and the unbelief. He just took it and took it and took it. And He was poured out for you and me. Does that give you comfort in your derision? The psalmist, he had comfort in his affliction through by, by keeping the Word of God. And he had comfort in derision. But notice lastly with me, he had comfort in seclusion. If you would look back at Psalm 119. And we'll see here what he says in verse number 52. He has said in verse 49, Remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. The proud have had me greatly in derision, yet have I not declined from thy law. I remembered thy judgments of old, O Lord, and had comforted myself. Have you ever called somebody when you needed to be comforted and they really just didn't help the situation? You know, there are times when you're going to need to find comfort for yourself in the Word of God, in the Scriptures. This happened for David. And sometimes in your Christian life, you're just going to have to find this. David, when he was at Ziklag, um, these, uh, um, I can't remember the, the enemy that came in, but they, they, David and some of his mighty men were away fighting. Uh, one of these armies came in and took his, uh, his they, they took their families, they burnt uh, all of their stuff, burnt their village down, and David comes in. And his own men are about to stone him. And the Bible says this in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. There came a day when David had all his mighty men around him, but they were ready to kill him. And he couldn't go to them for comfort. He couldn't look where he he might have normally looked for support. And he had God. But that's all he needed. And the scripture says that he encouraged himself in the Lord. Look at our text. He says in verse 52, I remembered thy judgments of old. Do you love hearing the old stories? And you know, when we say old stories in our culture, you think these are old, you know, fairy tales, Aesop's fables. I love reading the accounts of what happened and what God did. And as you look through the Old Testament, you think about, uh, you look back there with Noah and the ark. And the Bible says that the ark was lift up above the earth. 
And we take great hope knowing that Christ was lifted up. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And you see pictures of Christ throughout the Old Testament. And you go through and you see the way that God led His people uh, and destroyed the Egyptians and, and you know, brought down the walls of Jericho and how uh, David goes and visits his brothers. And here's Goliath. Goliath just making a mockery and laughing to scorn the God of the Jews. And David's out there saying, is, is there not a cause? Is nobody going to fight this guy? And they all look at him and they say, you realize how big he is? He said, yeah, but what about God? And he goes out there with a sling and a stone and slings it and, and nails, the guy, nails Goliath right in the head. And God knocks him forward. Just so we know that it wasn't David's stone. It was God knocking, you know, God took care of that. And you read through, do you remember the, this, these, uh, God's word of old? And as you do, it'll give you encouragement. It, it'll... Um, Encourage your heart. He says, I have taken these judgments of old and have comforted myself. Um, the scripture for us in Romans chapter 15, it says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. That we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. You know, I hope that uh, the Holy Spirit's bringing to your mind maybe one of the accounts in the Bible or one of your favorite passages. Because as you remember the Word of God, He'll give you hope. He'll give you comfort. Let's look at one more passage. Turn with me, if you would, to Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. Um, Peter knew, and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was going to remind us of this again and the power that His Word has to encourage us, to help us. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, and both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days, who? Scoffers. Those, those proud people. Those scoffers. And how are they going to come? Well, they're walking after their own lusts. Again, why would I pay any attention to somebody that's walking after their own lusts? and not walking in the Word of God. Verse 4, they say, oh, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the Word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same Word, are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, being not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, we're not happy about what the proud do. God wants them to be saved. And, you know, as we read the Scriptures and, and remember it, Paul says, or Peter here, he says, if I, if I can stir you up, I'm going to stir up your pure mind by having you remember and recall and think about the Word of God. And it'll help you in these last days. As scoffers come, they don't believe that God created the heavens and the earth. They don't believe that Jesus Christ is coming back. And if they don't repent, they're going to find out too late that God's Word is sure. So for you this morning, we see David, he had a source of hope. Do you have a source of hope? Have you found that in the Scriptures? If you were to die today, are you sure that you're going to heaven? 
If not, you can have that biblical hope this morning. And do you have a comfort in your affliction? What's going on in your life right now? Is it affliction? Is it somebody laughing, making fun of you? You know, you took a stand for the Lord. Uh, somebody can't believe that you go to church as much as you do. Can't believe that you'd give up or set aside this time to be here to hear God's word. You still believe those old stories. Yeah, David said, I have found comfort in remembering these stories of old. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you for the comfort and the hope that you've given us.